McCallum Podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. I am the aforementioned, along with uh, John Shannon. Robert, how are you? Uh, Great. We will. Uh, the Super Bowl weekend is at hand. Uh, well, it's a week away, but still. forever. It's forever. I, I will be bored by then. We'll hear so many stories. But what we're hearing now is the price of tickets is yeah. really big. I, w- I went on StubHub last night. Thinking, yeah, I'll just I'll see if I can find two. Yeah, twelve thousand each. Yeah, twelve thousand. Not even great seats, huh? No, they're in the upper level. Yeah, exactly. It's a great stadium and it's a great venue, but I'll tell you what, I ain't paying twelve thousand for a ticket. I can't imagine that you would. Uh, William Mao is the senior vice president at uh, Octagon. He knows about all this kind of stuff. So we'll talk to him about about ticket prices for the Super Bowl and uh, regional sports networks. What is the future there? Because there's one of them, a big one in the U.S. Yeah, in trouble. Is in trouble uh, financially. Uh, we'll talk about that in the second half of the show. And uh, John Davidson, the president of the Columbus Blue Jackets, will join us in the first half. We'll get to uh, Mr. Davidson right after this message. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the Bet Rivers Sports and Casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. McCowan and Shannon are back, and we're with the president of the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. John Davidson is uh, with us. Wearing number 61, not for Roger Maris, though. <laughs> I gather. Rick Nash. Yeah, Rick Nash. I, I was a big Roger Maris, big Yankee fan when I was a kid oh. growing up in Calgary. Every Saturday morning, the game of the week came on television, and it was always the Yankees, so I became a giant Yankee fan. You guys are so old that my dad used to tell me about Roger Maris. <laughs> <laughs> what color What color is that goatee and mustache, by the way, John? I just was Same as yours. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Good point. <laughs> there, was, there was a time when that it wasn't this color, but yeah. things change. Life goes yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, it'd be an understatement to say not a great year for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, what's you know, what's it like getting up in the morning and realizing you've got a you know a pretty crummy team? Yeah, it's, great. it's interesting. You go to bed at night. That's worse. That's worse. But when you get up in the morning, you go, you know what? This is what we are right now. Let's get back to work. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. That's what it is. And when we analyzed our team, we knew we weren't a playoff team. We thought we'd be better than this. Um, We had a tough start, first four or five games. And then the injury started. And all my years, I was trying to think even as a player, I was trying to think as a broadcaster doing the Rangers all those years. And then being in this business as as an executive, I never seen anything like this. We had 12 guys out one day, 12. And a lot of these uh, these injuries, there's nothing common about them. There's no bond. 
There's shoulder surgeries, broken feet, high ankle sprains, bro broken fingers, concussions. And it's not only, Bob, it's not only affected our Columbus Blue Jackets, but it's affected our Cleveland American League team because sure. we call guys up from there. They've had their share of injuries. They're trying to call up fine guys from the East Coast League and everything else. That domino effect this has knocked us right on our butts. It's been a tough one. Yeah. Um, are you absorbing much criticism? I mean, you re-signed Line A, you uh, went out and got Goudreau. You know, these those are two pretty big contracts, and they're done with the idea that, you know, you're trying to be positive looking yeah. forward. Are you getting a lot of criticism locally? We get some, but it's nothing. I think I think there's some understanding of what's going on. Of course, the team, again, was not a playoff team long. Liney's still young. He's 25 years old. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Goodrow's had a pretty good year considering Liney's been out for a while. Uh, Boone Jenner, his center, was out for quite a while. Uh, uh, Zach Wierenski, our best power play guy in the back end, went out basically all year. And we've played four, five, six, seven defensemen from the minors for long periods of time. So everybody has an understanding. However, we still push. We still uh, we go into Alberta. Lost in overtime to Calgary, went into Edmonton and won in overtime. Going to Vancouver and really didn't play very well. Credit to them. And then in Seattle, we were rotten for the first half, good the second half. So it's been a real one of these types of seasons. But uh, you know, we we are what we are. We uh, we push every day. We uh, every once in a while we get a player back from injuries, which does make a difference. And we just keep pushing. It's just all you can do. There's nothing else we can do. Period. How do how do you keep the, the players that you do have uh, from getting into that losing mentality. That must be hard. You know, I, I talked to uh, years ago with Ken Hitchcock quite a bit about stuff like this. And he said the toughest part, and I totally agree, for the players is when they feel they have no hope. That's when you really got to do your coaching. That's really when the management have to meet with players and meet with the team, whether it's individual or the team itself. And, and uh, meet with your staff, too, your coaching staff, assistant coaches, and even uh, as much as them, it's the training staff. And you have quite a crew now. You have, like, there's 10 trainers with the team, approximately. And uh, they have to have attitudes that are positive. If players come in in the morning and their shoulders are slumped, they, they're part of uh, getting them, hey, hey, what's your problem? Let's get it going here, that type of thing. And I... We, we, meet, uh, we meet quite a bit about that, keep pushing. The attitude, actually, for the most part, has been pretty good. It's never-ending. Every, every, every game that's over, in comes Mike Vote, our head trainer, and says, oh, we got two problems tonight. We got a concussion, and it looks like a high ankle sprain. Or if, if it's seldom where he comes in after games, there's nothing tonight. We all go, yeah, that's how bad it's been. So we just have to deal with it. We have to deal with it and, uh, and keep pushing and, and – Try to get something that we can hang our hats on. Uh, an example would be recently is a kid by the name of Marchenko, who's a first year over here from Russia. He's not he's not a raw rookie. He's going to be 23, but he's been on fire. And what a kid! I've, a lot of the Russian kids when they come over when they're young, it's a new culture. This kid's trying to speak the language. If he's interviewed, he'll speak in English as much as he can. He smiles. He practices hard. You know, things like that. Kent Johnson's getting better. We've tried him in Summit Center Ice. We've had him on the wing. He's just a kid. All this type of stuff. A uh, kid by the name of Sillinger who had a great rookie year last year. As a young guy, mm -hmm. has not had the type of year this year, but we're working with him, pushing him, yeah. pushing him. So these are the types of things you go through. The, the Cole Sillinger one's an interesting one because at the end of last year, you would you would rave about what, what yeah. a player he was. 
And this is a typical sophomore jinx for somebody like that. I know all about them. Yeah. I know how, all about them. Yeah. how do you manage that? Well, I, I try to look back on my, no, I'm an older guy. I mean, that's kid, not kid ourselves. I'm, I'm, but I did go through that experience when I was drafted in St. Louis my first year. I had a terrific season. Second year, I was so good, I got traded in the summer after the season to the Rangers. <laughs> that, was a, that was a sophomore jinx. I wasn't very good. So you, uh, you, you try to rely on some memory bank and experience and talk to these kids and coaches work with them. They look at video. They, uh, you know, he got concussed early. It didn't help him, obviously. Um, he can't, he's crossbars and goalposts and missing open nets, that type of stuff. So, but he's coming, he's coming now. We have to deal with it. He's going to, he's a fine young man, one of the better kids. And, uh, he's going to be a terrific player for us, but these are the ups and downs when you're dealing with 19 year olds. That's just what happens. You know, when you're in the position that the blue jackets are in, you know, near the bottom of the standings, um, can you be optimistic? Can, and it, I mean, the injuries are obviously a big factor in this, but John, can you take a look at the overall and say, you know, we're not that far away? Oh, I don't know if I'd say that right now. I mean, I think that we have a chance to get better fairly quick if the progression happens that we want to. An example would be a kid by the name of Juracek. He was a first rounder last year. He's playing in Cleveland, just turned 19, just turned 19. And he's playing in the American League, which is a good league. In the World Juniors, he was voted the best defenseman in the tournament. Had a hell of a tournament. Was terrific. And another, I saw he broke a record, but another one of these kids where we're getting lucky where he's a hell of a kid. Just a terrific, wants to play, passionate, going to improve, going to do anything he can. Now, when you get guys like that that are going to step in next year, which I think he will, that's going to be helpful. We're going to get Wierenski back. He's our number one defenseman, a terrific sure. player. He had shoulder surgery. Five games into the season, done for the year. I mean, that's an absolute blow to us. Um, and we've got, you know, we've got a number of young guys, young wingers, young defensemen. We need help at center ice, there's no question. Um, if we trade Gabrikov, we're going to need a replacement part there and see what happens. But, yeah, we, we have – we're not a franchise that sits here and goes, it's been a dreadful season, which it has. Uh, for a number of different reasons. And I won't say it's all injuries. At the start of the season, when we were healthy, we weren't very good. Um, but uh, that's on us. And uh, But we do have a number of different pieces that are big for us. And, of course, we're going to have a very good pick in this season's draft. You mentioned Gabrikov. No, no chance of re-signing him? Uh, we'll work on it right till the deadline, but it doesn't look that way. Um, he's uh, – I like him. I like him a lot. He's um, – been a leader amongst our club he's a big solid defensive defenseman who can jump in offensively and if we do move him it'll be uh, something that'll be good for him and good for us i know it's not necessarily your uh, responsibility bailiwick trade deadline is coming up should we expect you guys to be active well i think in our position we're going to try to get assets before the uh, before the player walks away if he's going to do that Come, yeah. come at the end of the season. We had another tough break recently is uh, Gus Nyquist. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a good player. He, uh, in Edmonton, wasn't quite prepared for a hit by Pugliarvi. Pugliarvi's a big guy, heavy guy. And uh, that hurt his shoulder, and he's 10, 12 weeks. So that uh, he's an expiring contract. So I felt terrible for Gus. I saw him after the game in Edmonton, and he was crushed. He knows that there was a possibility of him being traded. 
He knows that his contract's expiring. He knows that if he stayed with us, he was hoping to extend. He knows that if he didn't, he wanted to go somewhere and play real well and uh, get into the playoffs, play well and earn, earn another deal. So yeah, now that's it's not possible now. Yeah, it's going to be harder on him. And, and we lose an asset for sure. So these are these are the things you deal with. Curveballs every day. Yeah. So last week uh, in Montreal, Gary was adamant that uh, teams don't tank. Uh, and uh, because every, everybody is, you know, salivating over Connor Bedard at this point. Um, you're one of those teams that people would look at and say, well, if I, if I was Columbus, I'd tank. You but- know, John, that, that's an interesting, real interesting question. You can't get a player to tank and you can't get a coach to tank, I don't think. Management can sit there and go, oh, boy, wouldn't this be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? I've done this a long time now. And at certain times when I look back, when I was with St. Louis, for instance, we, we didn't have a great team, but we were drafting 14th. If we were drafting top three, it probably would have made our team a lot better, a lot quicker if you do it a few years in a row. And I've seen teams do that. Mm-hmm. I never have. It's just not in me. I can't do it. I will not tank. And some people think I'm nuts. Um, to go through what we're going through this year, and we're at the bottom, and it's not by design, um, if we had, I don't think we'd be a playoff team, but if we were hundred percent healthy or nobody is, if we were as healthy as most teams are, we'd be drafted 10th, 12th, 14th. That's my true feeling. Um, maybe this is a blessing who knows, but I can tell you this, it is one rotten feeling and a dreadful thing to go to go through when your team's not winning game after game after game, it's brutal. It sucks. It stinks. And uh, I've never had it. In, it's not, I can't do it. I won't do it. I won't be part of a team that's going to utterly tank. I will not be part of a team that's going to take the off season, dump players all over the place, knowing you're going to be really rotten that season. I just can't do it. That's just in me. And maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. We all started in, when we started in hockey, all of us, um, the worst team got the number one draft choice. There was no lottery. There were no percentages. Should we go back to that? I, I think that's a tough one because there's been teams do it by design for a number of years in a row. It does set their franchise up. Um, it does set their franchise up if you're going to get number one, number two, number one, number one, number two for four or five years in a row. There's no question. That's a lot of pain. I I, I think what it, the design was to try to stop teams from doing exactly that and uh, give teams that are that are more trying to win uh, a chance at, at a better player come the draft. The draft is still tough, I'm telling you. Even a number one, it's tough. Maybe not this season, but at number one, it's hard. There's number some some teams. You can, you can take Colorado when they drafted fourth and they got McCarr. Mm-hmm. My lord, how about that? How about that? That's and uh, that that's pretty good. I I could honestly say that that year we had him ranked one, but some teams didn't obviously. But uh, that's that's the nature of the beast. It's a tough business. But then you had you had hold on you had you had you had McCarr ranked number one that year. I believe so. I'd have to go look to be dead sure, but I'm pretty sure we did. Yeah, he's a good player, isn't he? Oh yeah, he's a good player. (laughs) But then the team is, as I said, the team is rewarded then for being smart in the draft or otherwise. You know what's wrong with that? Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. No, that's 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 fair and that's true. It's uh, it's uh. It's, it's amazing when you go back and look at all the drafts in the first round and how a team wished they were number two and they actually draft six and they end up getting a heck of a player. Sometimes it just happens. 
yeah. a team will let it fall back. And the next thing you, you've got this guy falling into your lap mm-hmm. and, uh, and, you, and on you go. It, it's a, it's a tough science. You know, you, I, I, I like to go out once in a while and, and scout amateurs, see them play. But, uh, the, the dangerous scout is a scout that's seen a player for one game or two games. That's dangerous. So I really respect amateur scouts on how hard it is for them to go and see a player at that age and project to what he's going to be. Cause it's, it's a science pro scouting to me is, is, is a, an easier science. It's still important. It's still something you have to really watch and pay attention to. But that amateur stuff, you see these kids all over the world. Oh, Lord, that's something else. It is Sean, something. How do you compare the European kids to the North American kids? Well, for, for me, it's uh, what, what they call a crossover scout. Your head scout will be a guy. We have a fellow by the name of Vili Siren. And Vili uh, lives in Finland primarily. Or the actually, old player, he's, right? He's an old player, right? Defenseman in Pittsburgh. And this he's been doing this a long time. But he'll, he'll watch Sweden. You have you have area scouts, Alberta, Western Canada, Ontario, Quebec, U.S., East Coast of U.S., Finland, Sweden, etc. And the area scouts see the draftable players, to be drafted players, time after time after time. They set their lists and set their projections. The 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 uh, crossover scout, a person we've had three or four, and they then look at all these reports and figure out who the better players are. Then they go from area to area to area to area and see them all. And they're the ones that have to, in their own mind, figure out, is this guy in Finland going to be better than this guy in, uh, in uh, Calgary? Or is this guy in Vancouver going to be better than this guy in, uh, in college in Boston or whatever it's going to be? So they're the ones that, uh, that have to make those decisions. The area scouts, though, they have to be really good to figure out who's the number one guy in their area, who's two, who's three, who's four, who's five. We meet mid-season. We had them recently in Tampa Bay and go through every one of these kids time after time and then put them into a grid and list them. And then we'll meet again prior to the draft and then readjust the list. Some kids get a lot better. Some kids slip. Uh, so so it's, uh, it's those crossover scouts that really make those decisions. And then when it comes down to who's the guy, it's the head guy that has to make that decision. I'm curious, did, did the World Junior Championships in Halifax change – Many opinions, or do they just reinforce that Connor Bedard's that much better than everybody else? I, I think that with with Bedard, I mean, he's obviously right there, but there's lots of other players that are very good players. You have to be careful you don't get yourself into a trap where you think that okay, here's Bedard and everybody else is uh, they're okay. Right, but that's but that's everybody the message. It's pretty good. That, that's the message that's been really sent across yeah, the hockey well, world is that being very careful. Yeah. We're being very careful with that. I mean, we, we have respect for a lot of guys that are going to be drafted, but you, you can't sit there in the meeting and go, okay, there's Bedard. He's here. And everybody else, you know, two, three notches, four notches down. That's just not fair. There's some very good players other than, than Bedard, who obviously is a very good player. So you have to be really careful of that and re- really respect who's two, three, four, five through 10, 15, whatever it is. It's a tough science. Those guys are good at what they do. I mean, to go from country to country, it's it's an amazing job. It's rare that a guy who's, you know, number one or projected number one turns out to be a bust, but it does happen occasionally. Yeah, it it depends to me on the depth of the draft. Yeah, There's I guess those so. certain, certain guys that 
there's certain guys that really do Mario Lemieux. I mean, Connor oh. McDavid. Yeah, of uh, course. Yeah, that that really stands apart. But a lot of times the draft is it's tight. Or there, we what we do in, in Columbus is we rank them. You know, the real A's or A pluses or the must haves, and then the ones that are just a notch below and a notch below. Sometimes you can get three, four, or five guys in that first column. Sometimes you don't have any. Some seasons or some seasons only one. So it, it all depends on the on the depth of the draft and how good the high end of the draft is. Good draft. Good drafts to me are. Yeah, there's that high-end player, but it's how many deep does it go where they're going to be very good NHL players? Is it 15 deep? Is it 18 deep? Is it 20 deep? And that's when your general manager has to make decisions on whether you make trades with your first pick or you try to acquire another first pick or a couple of seconds to move up to where that cutoff line is, where, you're, where you really as an organization think that that player is going to be an impact player. So it's, it's again... There's a lot to this. It's a, it's an expensive proposition with all the travel and the scouting, and it's a, a lot of meetings with with people that really know their business. And, and really, that's the difference between here we are on January 31st to March 3rd for for you and Yarmo to reckon if you can trade somebody in order to get another high pick. Correct? Sure, sure. And again, it depends on that team. Generally, at the deadline, when you're trading, if you're getting a first, for instance. If it's, uh, I remember I wasn't here, but David Savard was moved to uh, Tampa. First pick was part of it, but Tampa's picking 30th or 32nd or someplace in that neighborhood. So it's not one of those players that you'll get likely. That's one of those top, depending on the depth of the draft. Is it top 10? Is it top 12? Is it top 16? So it, it all adds up. You got to figure it out in those, in those areas. And don't expect you to comment on the Horvat trade. But yeah. does the trade of somebody of that magnitude basically light the fuse for the trade were, trade uh, timeline? And, and do you well, expect more before March 3rd? I think we've seen a little bit of that, uh, more so than we have in the past. One thing that's interesting is is um, with a guy like Horvat, just take him, for instance. They, they made the deal and hope it works for both teams. But what if they waited three more weeks and he got injured? Mm -hmm. That would create a problem. So I think if, if general managers, to me, are, are, are doing their jobs, they're out there on the phone every day trying to figure out and figure out and figure out. And all of a sudden, if something clicks and you got something that makes sense, do it. Do it. I mean, you just, you just, you're, you're making sure, you're ensuring yourself of not ending up with nothing in this hand and nothing in this hand. So it's, it's interesting how you go through that process. Well, um Still got a ways to go in this season. It's uh, a tough one for the Columbus Blue Jackets and for uh, John Davidson, I know. But uh, we wish you uh, good luck and the team good luck in the balance of the season. And uh, we'll chat again down the road sometime. Thank and, you and very much. My pleasure, guys. Yeah, great catching up. All the best. Take care and thank you. You too, J.D. John Davidson will be back in a moment. When was the last time everyone agreed on what's for dinner? We want Chinese food, they want pizza, and someone is always craving Froyo. Well. There's something for everyone on DoorDash. Ordering is easy. Open up the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want, and your items will be left safely outside your door with our default contactless delivery setting. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BOBCAST23. That's 25% off 
up to $10 in value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BOBCAST23. Don't forget, that's code BOBCAST23 for 25% off of your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. McCown and Shannon back with you. Thanks again to John Davidson for uh, joining us. With us now is uh, the Senior Vice President of Octagon, William Mao, is with us. Uh, nice to see you. Uh, welcome back. Thanks for uh, having me back, guys. We are coming up on Super Bowl week, and a, a big topic of conversation almost every year is the value of tickets and what they are going for. <laughs> and I'm made to understand that the, we may be now at a record. Uh, John tells me that tickets are like $12,000 they're asking for some tickets, and those are, you know, they are not prime seats either. It's um, do you, uh, do you have any idea what the face value of a ticket for the Super Bowl is these days? I do not. It's a that's a little outside my wheelhouse. I do know that in particular when it's in Phoenix, it's always a good time because it's always timed uh, in or around the waste management open, the golf tournament out yep. there, and so it becomes this like big, big longer term multi day uh, event out there in in Phoenix and Scott Scottsdale. So that that's probably also why there there's maybe greater demand even above who who the teams are well all Willing i know to... is that the first super bowl in los angeles uh ticket prices were 10 bucks across the board and now we're over ten thousand dollars now granted that was more than 50 years ago but that's still that's a lot of appreciation <laughs> for sure so, so uh, we'll. There, there's a lot of conjecture. Philadelphia, Kansas City, two big teams, two big name teams. Cincinnati, San Francisco. All of San Francisco is a big market. Um, what What is the difference for the NFL? What's the difference for Fox when it comes to having those teams versus, say, second tier teams? Uh, second tier teams in terms of market size. That, that's, yes, that's yeah, not that, a that's that that, that, No, no. Okay. No, that. <laughs> and by the way, that was me, not Will, who lives in America. So it's the Canadian guy saying that. Yeah, I think. Well, just to give you kind of some level set, right? Over the last five years, the average television audience uh, in the United States, at least, has been in that 106, 107 million range, um, wow. which is which is pretty strong if you consider the fact that just the total number of TV households is is not much more than that, right? So you're getting a really, really strong um, uh, consumption base on that. And if you look at it, uh, it's important to know the size of the markets of the teams that are participating, because I think that's probably if, if the NFL or any property, any league for their championship, for their finals, um, if they could have two teams from two big markets, that generally bodes all else being equal better. Um, so if you think about it from that perspective, Philadelphia, uh, the, the, the DMA, uh, the media market is a, is a top five market versus San Francisco, which would have been the alternative, right, is, a, is more of a top 10 market. Kansas City and Cincinnati are similarly sized um, in the 30s, you know, 30 to 35 range in terms of market size here in the United States. So, so again, you have to, you can't, you can't take Philadelphia and San Francisco and put them in the Super Bowl just because of the matchups. But um, overall, I would say that Philadelphia, Kansas city, it was probably all else being equal. Uh, the more preferred mark uh, matchup just from a media market size perspective. Um, but, is but, it but, not, but it's true though, that that is less impactful in the NFL than it is in other sports. Uh, sure. that, that, you know, baseball, you want New York, New York, LA would be the, is the ideal matchup in baseball. 
And the numbers would reflect that, and they'd be significantly different than a, you know, well, okay, let's take Kansas City, Philadelphia in baseball. You know, you'd have a big difference there. Not so much in the NFL. Yeah, I think it's it's all a matter of perspective. I think anytime the big game um, gets slightly less viewers than the year before, you know, there's big uproar because it is one of those big seminal temples uh, on the TV viewing and sports calendar. And so even if you went from, let's say, in in 20 January, uh, February of 2020, you went from 113 to 114 million uh, viewers down to 95 to 96 million viewers the subsequent year. And that was obviously a COVID uh, impacted year. I think that that raises some eyebrows. It was good to see that the, the Super Bowl did bounce back the year after with with close to you know 100, 100 plus, depending on whether you count streaming and out of home. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for right. last year's Rams Cincinnati matchup, but again, yeah. that brought the LA market, right? So, so um, do, do you have any idea what Fox would be selling time for? Obviously, they're sold out, but that's a number <laughs> that would be a, an a, an absolutely unbelievable number, I think, with this year, wouldn't it? Yeah, you know, I have I haven't tracked the latest number uh, for this year, but I do know that that number goes up every year, and, right. and then it becomes you know a question of like. Does that in, in this day and age, does that 30 second spot um, still command the type of influence that it used to, given that you can kind of you get your bombarded with advertising across digital, linear uh, and otherwise on social as well on a, on a near daily basis? Like is, is the bang for the buck still the same? I would argue if there are uh, there are advertisers and brands willing to pay that year over year and, and pay the increase. And to your point, it's sold out. The market would, would suggest the market demand would suggest that it is. But it's, it's also, you get ancillary views, many thousands, maybe millions of ancillary views for Super Bowl commercials. I mean, it's an entity in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, I used to work at YouTube and, and one of the things that we did and that they still do now, right. Is, is an ad blitz, which is basically they, they show the, the 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 advertisements that get played during the big game. A lot of them get released kind of early, right before the actual broadcast. Uh, and then there there's a place, there's a home now, right, for mm. for people to catch it if they happen to miss it or they want to rewatch. Exactly. Your point. Just watch the commercials. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So you, you, people are spending you know millions of dollars producing these commercials. I don't know if this is outside your bailiwick, but does it make any sense to run a normal? commercial in the super bowl or do you really have to go all out well if, if you do you probably get criticized for not being creative enough well I, I don't doubt that but does it do you think it makes sense i think you have to be creative and, and this is just my my opinion personally to your point it's not my 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 day job but you do have to be creative now whether that creative requires a blockbuster budget or there's ways to be creative at, in a cost-effective way yeah, um, that's in the eye of the beholder, ultimately, right? And the creative team and, and sure, know, I the guess viewer. So, creative, yes. How you deploy and then deliver that creativity from a cost perspective can can range. Yeah, I guess. So, so, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on, Will, is that you know there's ripples in in professional sports, ripples in cable broadcasting, is that uh, the Sinclair controlled Diamond Sports Group is going to declare bankruptcy soon if they haven't already. Um, Major League Baseball teams on a regional basis get a lot of money. There's 13, I think, 13 networks. Uh, NBA teams get a lot of money, and so do NHL teams. 
Is there any immediate fallout of what could happen in, in this scenario and, and, and how serious, I mean, now, companies refinance all the time, but how serious is this one, do you think? I think it's it's pretty impactful for the sports industry in the U.S. and, and up, you know, in, as it relates to, to hockey, the NHL in particular, because oh, as you mentioned and teed up, the n- percentage of revenue of a team that comes from these local market deals can can be anywhere from you know twenty to, to over forty percent, right? Particularly in baseball, where where a lot of it is is based on the volume of games. To put it in in more maybe palatable context for your your usual viewers, right? I, I believe by uh, by my last count, you know Sinclair controls nineteen RSNs, which includes by my count over a dozen NHL team rights, mm-hmm. um, and and those deals can range from you know, 10 to 20 plus million dollars on an annual basis. And so uh, those fees get paid uh, on a recurring basis uh, based on the contract and based on the calendar. And, and the key thing to note is, I think based on Sinclair's last uh, earnings uh, note, earnings report, they had about $600 million in cash on hand. But over this next year, they have to pay $2 billion in rights fees to all, all of the sports properties. So at some point, unless something changes, right, you're going to, you're going to quickly come into a, a crunch situation. And there's talk of them potentially skipping quote unquote, a $140 million interest payment on the $8.6 billion in debt that they have on their, on their balance sheet. And that will start a, you know, a clock, right. A 30 day clock of when you're, you, if you miss another payment, right. In another 30 days, then then the financial ramifications really start to start to pile up. So what that means for sports teams that are in deals with Sinclair is that you're either going to get a delay in getting your fee payment, even though my understanding is Sinclair and and Diamond have communicated to all their rights holder partners that like, look, you're going to, we're going to still be good for the, for the payments. Um, Or, you know, if this does end up in a bankruptcy situation, there's a possibility that your rights can get kind of tied up in that you can't even break loose and try to find an alternative, right? Your your rights are going to get stuck in that in that bankruptcy sort of litigation. Have you analyzed what happened to them? What did they do? Um, you know, uh, we we have seen regionals pay a lot of money for rights. Did they pay too much for rights? Are they not getting the advertising return that they expected? What exactly happened? Do you think? Well, you have to recall that Sinclair purchased these RSNs from Fox, right? And they mm-hmm. purchased it at, at, at a $10 billion price point, if I, I recall. There were some folks at, at that time that already thought that that might have been an, an overpay. Um, and then what has happened over, since they've, they've taken control is, is the market has continued to evolve kind of away from the traditional cable system, which the local market RSN cable channels uh, by definition, are, are built upon. And so with more cord cutting, cord fraying, however you want to describe it, there's just less consumers in that ecosystem. Uh, add to that fact that, generally speaking, these sports rights continue to increase in value. Um, live sports is one of those things that continues to retain value and retain audience across the television ecosystem. So you have less consumers, which means you have less cash coming in from your uh, cable company uh, carriage providers. And then you don't have an you have to you have to pay more for the same set of rights. And so with that, plus they spun up a direct to consumer that hasn't fully taken hold in the marketplace because they're charging twenty plus dollars a month 
for a service that doesn't include all the stuff that an ESPN plus would have mm -hmm. or a Peacock would have in the market. And so consumers are just having that dissonance about paying that. So these are kind of kind of the things that are happening from a marketplace perspective that are just exacerbating the issue of that $10 billion purchase price. Is, is this, is this you know, television's version of what newspapers went through when you think about how newspapers didn't adapt to the internet quick enough? In some ways, I think it, it it the question is really around um, if those newspapers were also owned by the same media conglomerates that then own television and then right. own, own, own new media, right? I think it's a, a, a different analogy would be like okay. looking at what a, a company like a Comcast, how it's structured, right? You have, it has its cable carriage business. It runs uh, various channels uh, through NBC Universal. It has international operations now with Sky. Um, but also it launched Peacock, right? It was it was like building for the future, trying to build where they see the consumers going. And I think the RSN business, particularly when it was in isolation uh, as entirely a cable uh, carriage driven entity um, right. was kind of maybe not ideally and optimally set up for the future, which is why they invested in this direct to consumer offering. So so if you're um, if you're a commissioner of a league, of any of the leagues, what's your thought process right now? Well, a lot of what's being discussed is whether, you know, how one of the ways that potentially uh, Sinclair can, can get out of this situation or, or at least better balance their balance sheet is uh, one of the ways is, is maybe turning, converting some of their debt into equity for their creditors. So that would be the likes of like a Prudential or Fidelity becoming an, an equity partner in, in the RSN business. Um, the other would be, it, it doesn't have to be these existing creditors. It's about trying to get um, other entities in the market to become investors, right? So whether it is uh, a, another uh, media conglomerate like a Comcast coming in or the leagues. And the right. reason the leagues are, are a consideration here is one, in many ways, they control those future rights. And what I mean by the future rights is future media rights, the digital rights, right? A lot of the recent news has been around Sinclair striking deals with a handful of these uh, local teams for their digital and streaming rights, which historically have had to involve the league because the leagues are doing deals with broadcasters on a national level that require digital right. rights now, and also managing things like a, a league pass offering, right? So the league has already been kind of pulled in more to these conversations overtly because of that digital rights piece. And then uh, as, as we may have discussed uh, you know, in, in prior conversations, there usually is only one RSN in each major market. So it's not like a, um, a, a situation where there's multiple parties at the table trying to grab these rights. It's usually a repeated game between the, the team and the RSN in the market. And so you're, because of that revenue piece where it's such an important um, inflow of revenues and, and cash into the operation of these teams, like you kind of need each other, right? They need, to, mm -hmm. they need them to survive in some way. Otherwise that entire value, uh, which could represent again, uh, you know, upwards of 40% of, of your operating revenue, like that just goes away. Then what? Could, could you, could you ever envision, uh, and Ohio is a good example because Ohio has, A, it's got a great fan base uh, and has multiple teams in multiple leagues, you know, the Cavs in the NBA, the two baseball teams, the Blue Jackets. Can you, when you talk about creditors, can you envision the teams participating in ownership of a regional sports network? Does it make sense? I 
I think we're starting to see that, right? Um, it depends. It's as much about the team as the the ownership of the team, right? Whether right. the team is kind of that that main jewel in that owner's crown from a, a financial perspective, or if it's one of many things, right? And I think an example that we've seen in the marketplace is in DC, right? Where we're already we we've had uh, a situation where the ownership group of the teams in the market, Monumental Sports, Ted Leonsis, and and his ownership group uh, are now taking over the Comcast RSN in that market. Comcast is still going to be involved from an operational perspective in the short term, but from an, a pure ownership perspective, it went from 33% owned by the teams uh, and Monumental to now being fully owned. And so mm. it, again, it, it depends on, on the ownership and, and their, their wallet and their ability to pick up that entire cost going forward. Of course, the most successful regional sports networks, MSG Network, Nesson, and Yes, you know, at, at most parts were driven by team ownership, correct? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it, it, but it's a very different business to operate kind of a, an entire sort of 24-7, 365 sports network um, versus the other kind of revenue operations that, that and, and the way that teams are usually structured to be focused on sort of physical in-game assets, right? Right. Well, when, when, when I, I don't know if I'm outside the norm, but when you see um, a regional group such as this in trouble, um, you start to wonder, well, is the industry itself in trouble? Um, our regional sports networks, do they no longer work uh, for whatever reason? And maybe the reason is they just have gotten caught in rights negotiations where the price is too much, price is too high. And the RSN, you know, most of them require um, a consumer base. Well, they all require a consumer base, but a lot of them charge. You got to pay for that product. Sure. And the public maybe has, you know, maybe we've had enough $20 regional networks. Yeah, I think the RSN business in general as a concept is very unique to the U.S. or the North American market, right? Yeah. Um, you don't have RSNs for, for soccer leagues in Europe because just the markets aren't of, you know, yeah, size that that gotcha. was necessarily supported. They're they're primarily national deals, and I think another sort of legacy kind of uh, point to make here is similar to in, in, a, in a more robust way what what has happened with the sports bundle in in, in a cable package, the ESPN part of of your cable package. Historically, like that was a lot of consumers, whether they were watching it or not paying some Paid for it, you know, right. a few cents for it, a few dollars for it. Right. And you were amortizing the cost of that uh, across your, your user base. Whereas like the RSNs are really feeling the shift in that dynamic where like, you know, things are becoming unbundled and particularly sports in general, you know, you have to, you're paying for it as opposed to just getting it as part of the base package. And because the business of the RSNs was started based on that being just part of a package piece, uh, to now becoming, you know, standalone value, standalone pricing, whether it's in the in the cable space or in this direct to consumer format, we're starting to see what the true demand and true appetite for it is. Yeah. What's your gut say about the the future? I mean, if you're a, a fan of one of those regional sports teams, um, are we going to notice a difference next year? I think I have to believe that this will get solved. I mean, it's a, it's a big problem. And in, in, in some ways, relative to the sports industry, it's it's a little bit of a too big to, to let it fail situation. 
Um, whether whether if you are a Sinclair shareholder or 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 equity holder, um, whether you're going to get sort of a dollar for dollar return on your original investment, it it seems like a, a tough putt at this moment. I think their debt is trading at like close to twenty cents on the dollar right now. The last time I, I looked at it, so wow. um, it 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 seems like that could be a you know a a corner case situation. But I think there will be there will need to be a solve because. Like I said, right. it's such a foundational piece of team operating revenues and content distribution in general, right? Like you have all these games, like it's not like you just kind of give them to the national packages because um, then you're you're messing with the, tr- the traditional supply and demand dynamics and national TV rights. Yeah, but then you're, they, yeah, as you know, a team that loses its rights holder like this is going to either have to go, it's going to have to go back to the, you know, over the air channels. No, I, I think that's the one thing that, that's the one thing that's different now is that you you might start seeing and maybe the meetings are happening in all these clubs already. Um, I think all over the top, right? Right, Will is that you build your own online network and you put your games there, but there's risk involved in that because of course you know there's there's no revenue coming in while you do it. Yeah, I think one interesting thing to 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 kind of keep in mind also is is technology has now allowed it from a digital perspective the reason the d to c was something that sinclair was building and and is proliferating in the market d to c means direct to consumer by the way direct to consumer i apologize um is you know compared to 10 15 years ago you didn't have the ease and ability to geo restrict the distribution of signals at like a zip code or a right, a, right. you know state level whereas now that is more often uh, a capability that that is is easily kind of prescribed and for example you see a youtube tv do a sunday ticket deal that's an out of market package what are mm-hmm. rsn's right if if you're not watching it in the it, it's kind of the reverse of that situation so as long as you have the technological ability to allow a consumer of your service to when they're in one market potentially get access to that market's rsn game and then if they happen to be traveling and go somewhere else be able to provide an offering in another state based on the rsn situation in that market maybe that works it's again going to come down to cost because uh, from a user experience, we can talk about a great user experience where, you know, John, if you're flying from uh, New York to to Florida, you can suddenly go go from watching one game to watching another team's local market game. Uh, mm-hmm. It just happens to be that the cost of an operator acquiring both of the local market <laughs> rights for those teams just for your use case uh, economically doesn't work. So it's all going to come no, down to cost. Sense. Right. Well, well, listen, we've got to go, but we'll watch with great interest to see what happens with the St. Clair group. Because it could be, uh, it, it could be important. To the as industry as in will I, as will I, and we'll also keep uh, keep tabs on that uh, that ultimate Super Bowl number when when the game's over. Yeah, let's see what what you, what people will pay for a ticket. What's your bet? Give us a bet over under one ten. I think it'll I think it'll get to over a hundred, but I don't think it will reach one ten. That's my my personal okay. opinion. Last time it was over a hundred one ten was was two years ago. Um, Although that was the last time it was on Fox, so who knows? There, there, there is a, a was a puncher's chance for that. Yeah, there you go, William. Uh, thank you very much. All the best. We'll uh, talk to you again soon. I hope. Yeah, thank my you. pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. Okay, bye bye. Well, thanks to uh, William Mao for being with us from Octagon. Um, uh, it, it, it's a fascinating story. I know it doesn't really affect Canadians very much, but. 
if you're a uh, if you're a a sports fan, you're an NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball fan, uh, and you watch lots of games on the on the league packages, you know, Bally is a, a dominant Bally through it. That's the name of the networks. That's actually a gambling company that bought the naming rights but didn't buy the production rights. Um, they, they, this could be a huge issue at some point in the near future. How I don't so? think it'll go away. Well, you know, basically, what do you think will happen? They, well, I, I do think the teams and the leagues will bail them out because they are, you know, it, now it's a case of how important they are in a regional basis. You take the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team, you know, what Valley Sports Midwest does for them is, you know, is an outreach of, of millions of people. Uh, the amount of integration with sponsorship is millions of dollars. Um, but then, if you own if you own the networks themselves, that becomes left pocket, right pocket money. Then, isn't it? Aren't you yeah, effectively but, but, paying but, yourself? Um, you're also reaping you're also reaping the benefits if it works. Well, you know? yes, you are. I mean, you look you look as I mentioned with William. You look at what Nesson does in Boston. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, Nesson is 80% owned by the Red Sox, 20% by the Bruins. Um, they Do you have, think they make as much money today as they did 10 years ago? That's a good question. I can't measure about 10 years ago. I do know they make a lot of money and they well, pay, they pay their team's rights fees because they have I, to, because of there's because of collective bargaining and, 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 and revenue sure. sharing. And, you know, there's every network will make a mistake now and again and get into a deal that they, they wish they hadn't. But that aside, you look at ESPN and, and the households that they reach today are yeah. just a percentage of what they reached 10 years well, they're, ago. They're, they're about 10 million households less than they were 10 years ago. Right. Uh, I dare say. But they're say trying to get those people back by, by buying the online product. That's Maybe. what they're trying to do. Oh, yeah. That's what they're trying to do. People I mean, haven't stopped watching, Bob. Well, People no. have not stopped watching. You know, and you, but like the best example, maybe in North America, is what happens with the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, Bell and Rogers, one of the reasons Bell and Rogers went in to buy the, uh, to, to buy the Raptors and the, uh, and the Leafs was to control their media rights. Of course they did. And, and so, even if at some point they sell, I guarantee you that it will be grandfathered for media rights. You know, uh, that's that yeah. to me is that, that that's exactly what this is all about. So, I mean, you can't tell me that Bell and Rogers aren't happy with, you know, a owning the sports teams and b having their rights on their regional sports networks. Well, but Rogers paid billions of dollars for the NHL rights. Yeah, but that's a di that's a different animal. That's I a different understand. property. I understand. But I think the days of the of the National Hockey League getting five billion dollars or whatever they did are gone. I don't think I don't. anybody's going to pay anywhere near that. I, I I don't think one I don't think one entity will pay that, but I do think three entities will pay that. Do I you really think do. That's where we're going. Yes, I think we're going to go back to CBC, TSN, our, uh, uh, Sportsnet. Uh, uh, what about Amazon? What about what about Apple? You know, there's there. This is where the world's going, Bob. It's going to your computer. I guess so. You know, so from from that perspective, it's uh, you know, the the the, the biggest problem in all of the Sinclair stuff, and Will was very diplomatic to, not to say it, is that Sinclair overpaid for the networks. 
Well, sure That's they, what did. they did. They overpaid ten billion dollars. Yeah, and and I mean, R Rupert saw them coming. <laughs> Rupert Murdoch saw them coming. You know, and get, to get that kind of money, you know, now, um, you know, it'll be fascinating to see what happens. And you know, you you have to think in the back of your mind, as Will talked about, you know, viewers in all those regions probably won't notice the difference. Hopefully in the next few years but what? something's got to change well what if they go off the air then people I don't think they, i don't think they will go off the air i think that i think that there will be some rescue of some sort as he talked i mean there's going to be a white knight just as sinclair was the white knight when fox put them up for sale yeah you know that's it's it, it is an unbelievable business story that you know, we are, you know, and, and in the business you in, you you understand sports business better than anyone. We never thought this would happen. This was never supposed to be. Sports was robust. Media rights were robust. People always wanted to consume. This is Yeah, but there was something called greed out there. And what happened was these sports <laughs> networks decided that they would be greedy and they wanted everything and they they thought they could pay everything. You know, sports is a prime example with their NHL contract. Well, no, no, but but is that is that the greed from the networks or the greed from the sports teams and leagues? No, it's or a greed. Or, it's a greed from both. the network. Greed, greed. Well, both, I guess, but yeah. in in many ways. But look at the sports network. Ultimately, pay. Uh, you know, they paid the price. And so then, they, but they but they charge the consumer though. Yeah. Well, yes and no. Sure, they do. You know, a sports now. You know. Sportsnet went out on the street and tried to sell NHL hockey at a at a ridiculous yeah, but rate. A, again, but that's no. a different that's a different animal because that's national rights and there's there's a, a finite amount of games. I this is a bigger that. this this is actually bigger than the national rights thing. This no, is bigger. I, I understand that. Look, we got to go. We got to get okay. out of here. All right. Uh, have a nice day in Mexico. We'll uh, talk to you again tomorrow. Goodbye, okay. everybody. Good night.